Thanks, James. Thank you. You may be seated. It is so good to see you this morning. Welcome to HBF. Uh, we're glad that you, uh, there are many obviously that are joining us, uh, some for the first time, so we're glad for that. If you're w- with us online, we're glad that you are with us today uh, for this sermon series called The Seven Realities of HBF. We are moving on to number six this morning, and uh, I'm excited about that. So if you have your Bibles, please be turning to the book of Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, my name is Brian Hedges. I'm pastor here at HBF, and we are glad that you are with us today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. If you are a guest and have that guest bag, if you open up that bag, there should be a Bible. We assembled it right here at HBF uh, in our in our uh, publishing ministry. And you can turn to page 1,592, 1592, not the year that uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but 1592. You can turn to that page and, and uh, you will find the text where we will be this morning. So as you're turning there... Uh, I just want to review where we've been. Uh, I know uh, it's kind of in between my uh, interruptions and things. It's easy to get lost, and it's not as fluid. So we've been talking about the realities of HBF and, and really kind of like the DNA of who we are as a church. And so this morning, uh, as we remember back and look at our first reality, uh, our first reality is that real people must be found in real churches. And, uh, that, I mean, that seems obvious, but we're really talking about authentic people. Obviously, people that are here are real. No mannequins allowed. Um, but uh, everyone is wanted, everyone is welcome, and everyone is one. So we uh, had that church picture that we took, and uh, that's us. We're just real folk. And so uh, if you're joining us here, you're just one of the gang, one of us real folks. And then our second reality is that real Christians are Christ-like. In Acts 11:26, the Bible says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And, uh, the, you know, real Christians are what well, we're like Christ, and that means we reflect the diversity of Christ. Uh, we're not monolithic, uh, and although we might reflect that in some ways. Um, we're all different. We come from different strata, different places, different places in the social structure. And in the body of Christ, everyone is welcome. Everyone is wanted. So we certainly reflect diversity. And then we re- reproduce spiritually. Discipleship is the most important thing we reproduce is Christ. And, uh, and then we respond cheerfully. We're ready to give. And, uh, and we're happy to do that because that's the heart that God gives us once we get saved. There's something unique about being a Christian. In a country where everyone claims to be a Christian, uh, biblical Christians should stand out uh, because of their charity, because of the heart that we should have for others, because if we love God, we'll love people. So we talked about that. Our third reality is that real relationships reach people. Uh, and we talked about the woman at the well, or not the woman at the well, but the woman with an issue of blood uh, and how she just reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. And there were people of faith, uh, Roman centurions, so full of faith that Jesus marveled at their faith, had more faith than those. So, um, and so, uh, so you know, those, those are, there's things that, that uh, we want to make sure that we reach out and we, and we reach God in our prayer life the way we uh, commune with him daily in our devotional time. We want to have real relationships, of course, that will reach our families. And then we talked about how um, that authentic relationship with God and one another will eventually reach the culture, the community, the cities, and the countries. And we we're to do that simultaneously. The fourth reality is, is real ministers reproduce God's character. Real ministers reproduce obedient children, humble servants, and submissive masters. And we worked through that outline there in Ephesians chapter 6, children, servants, masters, which led us to soldiers. And the fifth reality is that real ministers are drawn to real battles. And those real ministers, right, that's a servant under authority, cares for casualties, they prepare for adversity, and they share 
in the victory. Now I've caught you up. So when we ended last time, we ended on an up note, right? We were excited about all that God is doing, and uh, we know that Jesus Christ is our victory. We cannot be discouraged. How many of you tend to get discouraged? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know some of us do, right? A lot of us can get discouraged. I know I've been discouraged at times, and there's there's a reason for that, uh, because you're in a spiritual battle. And uh, and so, and it does affect your emotion, it affects your mind, it affects who you are, right? And so, if, especially when you're really serious about the things of God, it's going to cause you, uh, you know, to, to have your heart in it. The Bible says where your treasure is, there's your heart also. And sometimes it seems like you, you suffer loss, right? And if you suffer a loss, it's like, man, that hurts. And, and uh, it could be a loss of a family member. We've had some big losses here at Heartland just over the last several years, and uh, man, some key people have went home to heaven. We're thankful. They're happy. They're in heaven. They're doing good. But it doesn't. They're spouses, right? That hurts. Uh, the ministry. I was just on the way in today. Amy and I were just reflecting back on Jimmy Boyette. You know, some of that old rascal. And uh, we love Jimmy. You know, and we miss Jim. And we miss people that uh, were walking with us and and serving with us. And and uh, those are good things, though. God uses. Uh, God will comfort us and all of those things. But we don't want to get discouraged. As a matter of fact. In Galatians chapter 6 and 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, the Bible encourages us not to be weary in well-doing, right? Um, now, if you're living a life of sin and, and uh, decadence, well, I hope you get weary. I hope you get tired of it, and I hope you come home, right? But the Bible tells us not to be weary in well-doing, right? When you're doing the right thing, don't get weary in that. And it's, it's possible to get weary in doing the right thing. I remember when I first got saved, man, it was like a shot of adrenaline. I was so excited. And, man, I was running, and I was excited. I couldn't wait till the doors at church were open. I'd never heard those old songs, but I sang every one of them. I, before I got saved, I never sang out loud. And then I went to church the first time, and I was like, these people are kind of crazy. They're, like, all singing out loud. I mean, I don't know how many of you, how many of you grew up in church. Let me just see. Okay. Most of you. Well, if you're like I, I didn't grow up in church. And It's weird. I mean, you walk in a church and everybody's standing up and they're singing out loud. You're just, I was like, what is going on around here, you know? But once I got saved, it was so cool because God, the Spirit of God just like, you just can't help it. Next thing you know, you're like, oh, you don't even know if you're, on, you know, you're not on tune. It doesn't matter. Just sing because uh, God does something in your heart and there's all that joy and excitement. But I can tell, I can still remember it was probably, I don't know, a few months, nine months in or something. It's kind of just like the tire went flat. And the reality of like, this is going to cost me. It's going to cost me my friends. It's going to cost me some big decisions here. Um, and I, had to, I did make some big decisions early on in my life that it affected me to where I am today. Uh, I won't get into all of that. But the reality is you can't just run on emotion. You've got to have more. You've got to have more. And, of course, the more is faith. The reason we gather every Sunday and we gather throughout the week and we get up every day and we uh, seek God's face in the Word is we need more. We need more than emotion. We need faith. We need the Word of God. We need the manna, right? Every day there was fresh manna, and that manna kept those children going in the wilderness. And, beloved, we're not home yet, right? We're still in a raging battle between good and evil, light and darkness. And, boy, we'd like to check out and just go on vacation, which I get to do soon. But... uh, But you can't even check out on vacation, man. You got to be, you always got to be sober and vigilant because you're in a hot, I mean, this landing zone is hot. The devil's working, right? So you got to always, you got to be walking circumspect. There is no vacation, spiritually speaking. 
You know, and it can wear on you. You can get a little weary and well-doing. But Paul said twice, he told him, in two different churches, he repeated himself. He says, hey, don't be weary in well-doing. Now, this is a guy who spent a night and a day in the deep. And, you know, you can read the, all of the details in Second Corinthians. This guy had suffered, and he had certainly gotten weary. There were times when he didn't know if he was going to live, right? He despaired. He said, even of life. I mean, he stretched it out there. You know what really, what Paul was, was a, well, he's a leader, right? You often do things for others you won't do for yourself. Matter of fact, uh, you know, Jesus didn't even need to die for himself. He was good. But yet he came to this earth and died, not for his sake, but for our sake. And man, that is, that is what a good leader does, isn't it? You know, our last point was real ministers are drawn to real battles, but I want to just kind of notch it up to the next level because real battles, once you get to the real battle, what happens is it refines real leaders, right? Real battles refine real leaders. It takes a battle. It takes a little bit of, of uh, a punch in the nose, right, to know if you're really going to be in. I can remember when I was in Pop Warner football the first time uh, I played a real game, and I had fantasies about football in my mind. I, stay, I couldn't sleep at night. And we were playing the Cardinals, the Buckner Bobcats versus the Cardinals, whoever they were. I mean, anyone that lives on this side of the state and names their team the Cardinals, what is wrong with them, right? They deserve to lose. And so I was up all night long. I couldn't sleep. I was excited about it. And I I was just so excited. I'd been to practices and did all the stuff you're supposed to do. And I started that day on the line. And I'll never forget walking up to the line and uh, some old boy across the... Obviously, he had played some football before. Some old boy lines up. I mean, I get hit so hard the first play. I was like, I'm, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> True story. I remember looking at the sidelines and like Uncle Ray's over there. My dad's over there. My mom's over there. I'm like, I can't come out of the game. <laughs> and so it was honestly, it was just pure pride. It had nothing to do with a want to. All the, all the fantasy got knocked right out of me the first play. And all of a sudden, this was not so fun anymore. What happened to all the glory? But I'm, you know what? I'm glad I went back and took another shot. And another shot, right? And by the end of the game, I was able to start thinking. And start thinking, wait a minute. We gotta do something here. We can't, you know how it is. And you finally, you finally get acclimated to the level of combat you're in, so to speak. And, uh, and so then you can actually be, go beyond just, you know, Shock and shock and awe that your bell just got rung to actually, you know, hopefully have an impact. And so and so it takes it, it refines you. What happens is real battles refine you. I wanted to be a football player, but it took me getting in a real game to realize what it really meant to be a football player. A lot of people, they want to live the Christian life. Oh, you want to get in the pulpit, man. You got something to say. OK, well, let's get to work then. And let's see how much you want to say something. <laughs> because you know what? You will get punched in the face, but not by me. <laughs> and so, poor Mickey, she almost, yesterday, this is a true story. Can I tell this, Mickey? I didn't get your permission. So, I, nobody's here, and I'm working. She doesn't know I'm here, and I didn't know she's here. And they're getting ready to start the church cleaning. So she came in, turned on the lights. I walk down the hallway. I'm getting ready to wrap up. I go down the hallway. Lights are on. I'm like, man, they didn't turn off the lights. So I turn off the lights. 
use the restroom. I walk out of the restroom into a dark hallway, of course, and all of a sudden I hear this voice. And I am like, I'm like ready to kill her. You know? <laughs> I didn't, did I yell? I roared. <laughs> I was like, Aah! and I was like holding back my body. I was wanting to just, I was just, I didn't know what it was and it was dark and I was scared. I'm glad it was a girl's voice. I'm telling you, I was. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad I already used the restroom. I, anyway, so, but it was, it was, uh, that was nothing to do with real battles. But um, that's you being scared. I don't know. Getting hit in the face. Oh, she almost got hit in the face. That's what I told her. I said, <laughs> I said. Uh, I said, Mickey, I mean, if you wouldn't have said something, I probably would have, because I did. I was just freaking out. Okay, anyway, uh, so that has nothing to do with anything other than you don't want to get hit in the face. And that's a lot of times why people don't, you know, go forward in ministry. They have a they have an idea of what, you know, it's going to be like, and it seems fun, exciting, or it seems really good. And then they get involved, and it's like, wow, this isn't what I thought. This is, like, strenuous or... Or, or something, your feelings get hurt, or whatever. Something happens, and all of a sudden, it's you got in a real battle, and it's not as fun as you thought. And so, we got to go a little deeper. We got to have faith. So, sacrifice is the essence of both ministry and leadership. And uh, you know, I've already done General Patton, uh, but I got another gentleman I want to bring up who you all know, and uh, he's kind of a, an image, but he also was a real person, and that is General George Washington. One of my favorite leaders in history was General George Washington. General George Washington was certainly refined through the battles he fought. And when I think about, you know, you think about generals and victory, you know, this guy didn't have all the resources of General Patton. He didn't have all the, uh, he didn't have all the, the moxie either. I mean, he was, he was a unique fella in a unique situation. He certainly chose to lead the underdog team. Uh, it took a lot of courage. It took a lot of resolve to be George Washington. He was a gentleman who was certainly not weary in well-doing. If you And I'm not going to do it today, but if you took and, and read and learned of, of just how he had to deal with all the mutiny that he was facing a good part of the time, that in itself is incredible. The fact that he could get up every day and keep going forward. And the reality is, in some people's lives, it's really that hard for you. You're battling depression, this, that, and the other thing, the issues of life. And it, it's just hard for you to get up and go the next day. And, and so the reality is, is we've got to get into God's will. We've got to understand that he's won that victory. And we've got to be willing to, to go through whatever it takes to see it through. General George Washington was refined through the battles he fought. And we rightly honor Washington for the strategic surprise attacks on Trenton, New Jersey, and Princeton. And without a doubt, the crossing of the Delaware, Delaware River to seize nearly 1,000 Hessian troops was the key in Washington's leadership and the nation that we now call the United States. I mean, this guy rolled the dice, and he won on numerous occasions in spite of every, every obstacle. Of course, we know that God was a part of that. That is the only way to explain it. And so history often glamorizes its heroes and its leaders shine, and, and they should. But with a closer study of history, what really draws me to the first president of our country is the complete weakness, the utter weakness by which he operated. Before Washington and his army turned and saw the substantial victory in the Revolutionary War, they were run off after losing 
New York City to British General Howe in August 22nd of 1776. Washington and his troops lost the Battle of Long Island, and George evacuated most of his troops to the mainland, but left some behind. He even left guys stranded. George lost battle after battle, both before and after his two successive victories. And when you finally tally the results, the numbers do not match the outcome, because what made General George Washington great was not his tactics or his army, but his resolve to win the battle while losing battle after battle after battle. He was not going to quit. He was not defeated, so he was not quitting. And he kept going and going because, obviously, he believed he could win. And I don't know if anybody else believed it. General Howe didn't believe it. General Howe was so confident that nothing was going to change. He stayed in New York. He never even got... He never even supported Cornwallis. He didn't think anything. He did not believe that this ragtag group of rebels could actually win against the greatest army in the world. And while we should celebrate the victories of this great leader, it's more important to see what really made him great was his commitment to the cause for which he and his men fought. Because when they said men like, uh, um, and his name fell out of my head, uh, give me liberty or give me death. Patrick Henry, give me liberty. Those guys meant it. I mean, they really meant it. They, they were fighting for a cause. It was life or death. They knew it. They pledged their life, their sacred honor, and all their fortune and all that stuff. There was no going back. And in your Christian life, that's the first step, right? That's what makes you a real minister is when you really understand, look, I'm not going back. And then the battles that, that you go through will then refine you. And before you know it, whether you intend to be a leader or not, you'll look around and you'll be... Not only, you'll be, you'll be leading because other people will need your example to follow. What do they need an example of? They need an example of your oratory skills. They need an example of this, that, or the other gifting that you have. Now, you can leave that for, you know, mainstream America. What they really need to see is people committed to Jesus Christ and his cause to the point of death, uh, sacrificing their life. Um, I don't mean necessarily physical death. That's not that big a deal for us. For us, just a transition to heaven. But a day, I, Paul said it this way, I die daily. Where we make a decision daily, this is the way I'm going. Follow me. This is where we're headed. And that kind of commitment, man, it causes us to, to want to follow. It, it might even be said that, that men like Washington, you know, were actually refined by the battles they lost. Have you ever thought about that? Man, I tell you what, I think all of us could, we could probably put a line up here with a microphone and we could all just share all the battles we've lost. Man, how many battles have we lost? I mean, you don't get into a battle to lose it. The question isn't do you lose them, is what do you do when you lose them, right? And God will even use the losses to help refine us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, you know what he did? He gave it all. And it looked like he had lost everything. But in reality, he had just won. Because in three days he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. And it was into this victory that we enter into the theater of combat, spiritual combat. The battles we fight refine us even when it appears that we lose. Now, it sounds kind of like a, a paradox or an oxymoron, but at the end of the day, and I told you this when we ended the last session, you really can't lose because you are more than a conqueror. 
It's not what you do. It's who you are. And so that's why you have to keep going, even when it seems like you lost, because you haven't lost. And Romans 8.28 is true. All things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. You've got to love God and keep his commandments. You forsake him? You forsake the cause? Well, you're in shaky ground. But God is faithful. So our, our sixth reality, real battles refine real leaders. What we're going to see this morning is real leaders lead from the front. And then we're going to come back uh, in, in a few weeks and look at real leaders are faithful and fruitful. But the subject of leadership is not limited to the church. This is a big deal to everybody, and it's lacking in our world today. There's much talk uh, both in the church and in the world today about leadership. And much has been written on the subject, and we could go on for days about what a leader is and and what they should do and how they should do it. And there's a lot of books you can read about all of those things. The reason this subject is so precious and so pervasive is because people both in the world and in the church are looking for leadership. And when the definition of a leader is um, uh, boiled down, it really comes down to this. The definition, this is in your notes here, the definition of a leader, and this is mine, and I have, by the, and I really have studied this. I've, there's all these definitions. I've gone through it. When, it. when I boil it down, I just one that goes first. I mean, I hate to tell you, it's that simple. The leader is just simply one that goes first. Most of the training I've been in on leadership, they're always talking about the results of a leader. A leader, you know, has people that want to follow and takes people places they wouldn't go on their own, all that other stuff. But before we get into all that, I think we just got to deal with this. The leader goes first. You know, we all were little kids. Follow the leader. The leader goes first. The leader goes first. And I believe this simple definition is the essence of leadership. Most definitions have to do with that impact, as I've just mentioned, of going first and what that produces. But when a person chooses to go first, they manifest the character, or at least some character, of a leader. Anytime leadership is studied, it boils down to one thing. And this is it, character. That's really all that we're talking about. Is character. There are many leaders, but character is what sets a leader apart. Character tells people who we are, not what we do. On Sunday night, we're, we've been going through the character, characteristics of the men uh, and women that lead the church, the pastors and the deacons. And at the end of that study, which is where we are now, you get down to the end of that thing, and guess what? Voila, there is the mystery of godliness. Christ manifests in the flesh. You know, justified in the spirit, uh, uh, seen of angels, delivered up, all that down there at the end. What is that about? Well, Christ is the example, right? He is the essence of what all of us should be wanting to reflect in our lives, of what a real leader is. It's Jesus Christ. Character tells people who we are, not what we do. So what we do manifests who we are. Therefore, it is often scary to go first because many people are afraid who they are will be manifest. I know I've been in that position. We all need leadership assurance, don't we? I mean, I do. You do. We all need some leadership assurance. And Well, as a Christian, we don't have to fear this. Who we are on the inside is, is who. We already covered that in our second reality. Jesus, right? Real Christians are Christ-like because Christ lives in us. So we really don't have to fear. As real Christians, we are not under the bondage of fear. The fear going first, because the Bible definition of a leader is simply this. It's a follower. What? I thought you were talking about leadership. Well, I am. You see, Jesus has always gone first. He's always first. So really, I don't fear getting up here if I'm following Jesus. 
All you got to do is follow the leader. That's totally different from the world's way of thinking about leadership. It's all about find the type A male. Well, I have found the alpha male. His name is Jesus. He's the alpha and omega. All right, there he is. I'm following him. And so I'm just telling you, that's who we follow. We follow Jesus. So you don't have to get all worried about going first because you're following Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you're in safe hands. He hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So what's our excuse? We don't have to be in fear going first because we follow Christ wherever he leads us. And when God called Peter to lead the church in Jerusalem, he simply had to teach him to follow. Think about that. When you get to the end of the book of John, the next leader, what's the big lesson for Peter? The the next leader it's follow. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Right? Peter, alpha dog, follow me. You're going to have to learn. You got to go my way, not the way you want to go. And so when God called Peter to lead the church in Jerusalem, he simply taught him to follow, even if it meant following Christ to his death. In John 21, he lays all that out. So Paul certainly was concerned about the leader's character. He left a record in every epistle regarding character required to follow and even lead. So we cannot miss his account to bishops and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, as I mentioned, also Titus. But when, when we boil Paul's leadership down, he had a boldness to go first because he was simply following Christ. And he even said that. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said, Be ye followers of me, period. No, he didn't, did he? He said, Be ye followers of me, even as... I, uh, as I also am of Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. So he's not just saying, follow me because I follow Christ. He's like, not follow me the way I follow Christ, as I follow Christ. Follow my example. Follow me as I'm following Christ. I'm doing what he's teaching me to do, what he's telling me to do. Last week, we saw how God places people in positions of leadership who will follow him where no one else is willing to go. We looked a lot at David, little David, who became the greatest leader the nation of Israel ever knew, was willing to go into situations that made the king himself scared. And the character that God needed was developed in the field. Not the field of combat, but the field of a shepherd. You see, David was ready to lead when he stepped out against the giant because he had already followed Christ into previous victories. He knew what it was like to follow Christ. He knew what it was like to get the victory. And biblical leaders are simply followers who are refined on the battlefield. Our character will not be developed this morning. It will be developed this week when you go to work, you go to school. Of course, school's not in. Or you go out and about. Wherever you go, that's where your character, that's where my character is developed. And sometimes I don't like the lessons. Some of my best lessons on character are when I've blown it. You're like, oh, man, I got angry. I got soon angry. I shouldn't have gotten angry, right? I will not do that again. I remember one of the best, I, went, I, I tell this story a lot because it's, it's true, and, uh, and it was a big deal in my life. I was in, uh, I, when I got, before I got saved, I cursed like a sailor. And then I got saved, and I didn't like have to like work on it. I mean, it's like, it was gone. You know, some things God just is grace, graceful with, and that was one of them for me. So I never really had an inclination to curse. But one time at work when I was young, I cursed on purpose just to kind of fit in. And uh, I probably told this, some of you have heard this story before. But I just remember how convicted I was, right? I lost that battle. But it built my character because I didn't repeat it, right? That was something that it, it bothered me in my heart. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore because 
I don't want to fit in like that. I'm here to represent Christ. Because we all know there's a language of the world. And uh, I used to speak it, but God took that from me when I got saved. He gave me a new language. And so, praise God, he, he changed the way I speak. Because obviously, obviously now, he had a plan. You know, there's that guy on YouTube, the cussing preacher. What an idiot stick, right? So we don't want to listen to that. And so uh, the victory that, that people are, are looking for is not found in the battlefields of the earth, but in the battlefield of the mind and the heart. Uh, the world and the church both are looking for leaders who are more than conquerors. That's what this world needs to see. They need to see Christians that are following Christ in a way that they recognize that they are more than conquerors. They are alive in Christ. They're new creatures. There's no quit in them because they're eternal. Because of the infirmities of the flesh, the first thing we must understand is grace. Now, in our text, I had you turn there. You're waiting a long time to get there. Let's stand and look at our text. You've had enough time to sit. Now it's time to stand up again. All right? So so Paul is... Paul is uh, Addressing his son in the Lord Timothy, this is his swan song. I think many of you know the text. We've been talking about real ministers over in Ephesians 6. Now Paul is getting ready to depart, and he's writing to his son in the Lord. And uh, he says in verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. We need grace. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, not just by their lips, but by their life. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth, must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for... The sacrifice of your Apostle Paul and Timothy, both of those men lost their lives, as history records it, because they loved you and they loved the gospel enough to share it with everybody that needed to hear it, whether they wanted to hear it or not. Lord, they were men that that believed and followed you wherever you sent them. Heavenly Father, may we really understand this morning as we think about how real battles refine real leaders, that you are leading us and guiding us even to difficulties. And, and even when we're doing the right things, tough things happen. There's oppositions and there's difficulties. Lord, that is all to continue to refine us into the very image of Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we live as those that are alive from the dead. May we recognize that death has no sting. Hell has no victory. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we live a life that... Uh, proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus, everywhere where we go and every way in which we represent you. And Heavenly Father, where we don't, we'll go back to verse 1. And Lord, we understand it's by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you called us, Lord, by your grace and with your mercy. Forgive us where we fail you. Teach us this morning and encourage your church. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
I got a lot to say about this subject, especially the last two points. So, but I want to just start off with this. Uh, this it's really an addition. If you were here in 06 when I first did this, uh, this was not in our lesson. So this is all fresh food. But uh, if you want to be a leader, a biblical leader that's refined by real battles, what you'll find is that real leaders lead from the front. They lead from the front. Now, I just want you to think about that because we all have an image of what that means. But I want you to think back to what we've already learned about David. And I want you to I want to go back to that story in our minds and just meditate on it, because in our previous sessions, we've examined examined how David was was not counted as a soldier. But a servant, right, he was a minister, which is our last point, number five, but because he was a minister, he found his way to the front of a real battle. Right, because he was just doing his job, he was just serving. That's where we got to start, right? You don't get to be a master without going through being a servant. And you don't get to be a servant without being a son. You got to be a child. Child, a servant, a master, and then a soldier. So David is doing his thing. He ends up on the front. You guys understand that. He found his way to the front. But the front lines of a battle and in the trenches, as we talked about last week, with the, with the real standing army, this real minister was drawn to a real battle. But after that incredible battle, David rose from that servant of Jesse to the servant of Saul and, of course, the servant of God as he grew into the armor of a military leader and king. He couldn't use it that first battle, but before we know it, he is slinging a sword, right? He is fully ready for battle. And we find him going in and out to battle as we study his life with or without the title of leader, right? He was anointed king before he ever stepped on the battlefield with Goliath. He wasn't going to die because God had already told him, you're going to be the king. He had a lot of confidence. You get, you get where I'm going here? Y'all ought to have a lot of confidence when it comes into getting into real battles. Why? Because God's got you. He has. You, you're not going to die until he says it's time. Your number's not up till he says so. You're just like David in that regard. So you go where God tells you to go and you do what God tells you to do, but you're going to do it in the field before you do it in public. You're going to do it in private before you do it in public, right? You're going to have to have that character that was built in the shepherd's field before you get it on the battle's field. So when we find him going in and out to battle with or without a title, he's leading people to victory. And these battles are meaningful battles. He's going in and out to battle, not just to have an excursion. He's going in and out. Even when everything around him is upside down, Saul's trying to kill him, He's still going after the primary thing. He is so focused on the mission, nobody can get, dissuade him. He doesn't even care if he has an army. He'll just take whoever is a, is a ragtag soldier. He adds him to his, his unit, and he goes out and he defeats the enemy. He's going to go after the Philistines. He's going to go to Gath. He's going to go to the places that need to be uh, confronted with or without um, with their, without an army that is, uh, you know, sanctioned by the king or whatever. He's going to go, and he's going to keep fighting God's battles because that's what God called him to do. He was quite a leader. And these, re-battle, these real battles with the enemy refined David's leadership and prepared him to be the king of Israel. And they weren't all beyond the, at the borders, right? You can go back and look at the story of Abigail and Nabal. He was about to get into a real battle, and he got talked off the cliff. You know what? God refined his character. Now, obviously, if you read David's life, he had a lot of work, and he wasn't pure as the wind-driven snow. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure everybody exalts david i think i would have loved him as a young man but when he was king i might not have liked him very well right and so uh i don't know but anyway that's another story but god loved him 
And the time we see David staying back and leading from the rear, we see him fall into sin. Jesus did send his disciples out in his stead, and he led the 12 apostles in his place. Timothy followed in Paul's ministry after his departure. But all these leaders led from the front until God called them home. And this week, I had the privilege of sitting under Pastor Tony Godfrey at a quarterly pastor's luncheon down in Lee Summit, Missouri. And he preached on the difference between finishing your race and being finished. Man, it was a good message. And he used King Asa as an example. And he did a tremendous job of highlighting what happens to a faithful servant who stops following God to the front of real battles. Instead of finishing the work God starts, they're finished off by poor decisions and less than honorable activity. And it ends, of course, in that case, he was lame on his feet. He couldn't even walk anymore. Why? Because he made bad decisions. When God gave him a chance, God sent prophets and said, Hey, Asa, all you got to do here is repent, and you're back, on, you're back in the business, man. You're doing what you need to be doing. Just repent, get back on track. Instead, Asa hardened his heart, started persecuting the messenger because he rejected the word of God. Beloved, we can never reject God's word. We live in a culture that, that rejects the word of God. The people who cannot reject the word of God are the people who are his sons, his children. We cannot afford to do that. We can't go soft on the word. As a matter of fact, we need to double down on it. It's not the time to back up. It's the time to go forward. And this morning, um, you and I, we, we want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. One of my biggest fears is not being faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful, so, so let's do the things that God would have us to do to be successful and bring honor and glory to his name. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. Let's get after it. Right? So let's lead from the front until Jesus returns for his church. So may we be charging the enemy as hard at the rapture as we will be at the second coming. I got to thinking about that. You know, I think one of the ways to, to be ready for the second coming is to start running for it. It's to start looking forward to it. Because our, our, actual, our actual return is that of a military conquest. Now, I'm not saying literally, physically, let's go out kingdom of heaven style. That's, that's for another dispensation. But we ought to be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that this is it, man. When Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. We can't afford to worry about our feelings because these people that we're talking to that don't know Jesus, they will die and pop like a grape in the, in the, in the valley of Armageddon. Right there, there is no way that we can afford to go soft. We have to go forward in faith, and we gotta we gotta understand. We gotta go out as hot as a firecracker, because when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna return as bright as the sun. Right, that is what the Bible promises. And yet, what do you see? You see a lot of apathy. You see a lot of defeated people. A lot of oh, life is so hard. Yeah, I don't know about all that. I think we're all up in our heads. And our problem is we need this mind in us, which is also in Christ Jesus. There are real battles. Don't misunderstand me. There are some real difficulties, and we do have to face them. But Jesus modeled this type of servant leadership. The sum of the Gospels is Jesus calling the 12 faithful men to follow him, concluding in John 21, 19 and John 21, 22. You can just look back there real quickly. And you know the story. I've already referenced it. But at the end of that, that discussion in John chapter 21... What, what is being said here? He, he says in John 21, he says, after he goes through the whole, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Verse 18, verily I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest where thou wouldest. But when thou art old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. 
This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. You're talking to a winner here, guys. Peter's not a guy who wants to lose. He's a guy who wants to pick up a sword, not lay down his life. But Jesus says, listen, uh, when you're a young man, you can walk where you want to go. But this is how you're going to glorify me. It's going to look like you're losing, and that's going to bring great glory to God. You're going to go out as a martyr, Peter. Now follow me. Now follow me anyway. Trust my judgment. Trust my resurrection. Trust the power that I've bestowed. And, of course, we know great things were in store for Peter up until that time where he was martyred. He saw incredible things happen. But he had to reckon with the fact that he's going to end, it's going to look like, on a losing note. But God gave him the, he gave him the heads up. Guess what? You're not really losing. When, you, when someone else comes in to gird you and someone off, is going to carry you off to, uh, of course, history says he was crucified upside down. We don't know how exactly it all went down. Whatever happened to him, it happened the way Jesus said. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He says, you know what, man up, Peter, because that's going to bring glory to God. You're going to be just like me. It's going to look like you're losing. But we know what happens with that. The seeds of uh, persecution is going to bring all kinds of fruit. It's the fertilizer for the church. And God got the glory. Verse 22, he's like, yeah, but, but you know, Peter looks around the room in verse 20. But Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, that would be John, who also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. No matter what is in store for you or your friends, just go after who? Jesus. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So a real leader is going to be refined in real battles that calls them to, to focus on their, their commitment to Jesus Christ. When you get into real battles, that's actually what's going to be proven is your commitment to follow Jesus Christ regardless. When I started in the ministry, if you'd have told me all the people that would get go down in sin or abandon you or whatever, I would have probably quit. But there's times that come in your life where you have to, where God just challenges you to say, Hey, Brian, who are you following? Follow me. And follow me to the end. To the end. Right? You gotta stay focused. And you gotta run it out. You're not running this race because of the person on the left. You're not running because of the person on the right. I got that backwards. Uh, but you're gonna run it for Christ. Now we do do it for other people, but you understand what I'm saying. Follow me. That, that implies being a witness, a martyr for the cause. And each, uh, each of them, each of the apostles, except for John, is recorded as being martyred for their faithfulness in following Christ. So that Jesus modeled that type of leadership. He went first. Right? Before he asked them to die, what did he do? Well, he came and he died. Wow. Anyone else want to sign up? Now, we think about that as Americans. Not a lot of people want to sign up for that. But it's amazing when you go to other countries. Because of the darkness of sin, because of the blindness that's come through false religions or, or false uh, political, or not false, but, but oppressive political powers, whatever it is, it's all darkness. I mean, people, you hear the gospel and people receive it knowing it's going to cost me, it could likely cost me everything. Or you minister in a place like Randy and Julie in Zambia where life is cheap. Not kidding. People, croc- are those crocodiles or alligators? Crocodiles. crocodiles. You, you might be out getting bathing your, your kids or whatever, your clothes, and boom, crocodile. Oh, did 
Judy's gone. She just got eaten by a crocodile. I'm not exaggerating. Am I? It's sad. It's not funny. I mean, really. I mean, life is short. AIDS, pestilence, not having adequate understanding, medical care, all those things. And when someone hears the gospel, you know what they believe? They actually believe what it says, that I will have eternal life because death is facing them every day. A lot of people in this world, it's better than it used to be, but a lot of people in this world don't know where their next meal is coming from. So they wake up every day. Where am I going to, what am I going to eat today? I mean, that's where they live. And so death is always knocking at the door because if you don't get enough meals, someday you're going to die. And there's just not a backup system. I know Americans, we don't think like that. So when they hear about Jesus, man, it's amazing because they can have life and that eternal. Point B, the apostles also model this type of servant leadership, obviously. But I want you to see, look over in Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. Man, what happens? Well, the apostles model this type of servant leadership. I want you to see the, the tenacity that they had. This isn't the only example. It's just the one I selected for time's sake. Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. It says, look at this. It says, and they, well, let me back up and give you a little more context. Verse 33. When they had heard that they were, when they, they, they're preaching, Israel is rejecting. This is the second rejection of the gospel. It says, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. They stood there, or then stood there up, one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and had commanded to, to put the apostles forth a little space. He's, given a, he's like, give them a little rest here. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do is touching these men. For before these days rose up Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody, right? He said he was somebody. To whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished. In all, even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel uh, or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God... You cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even fight to fight against God. And verse 40, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now look what happens, verse 41. And when they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. And daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. These guys' minds were wired a lot differently than ours. They were like, man, we just got punched in the face, and we like it. Thank you. We get to suffer shame. They got, as Paul called it, I get to fill up the sufferings of Jesus Christ. God left me a little bit of suffering. Why? Because they know there's a far more exceeding weight in glory. They're not moved by their peers. They're not moved by the... The, the, the authorities that want to slay them, they're ready to lay down their life. They woke up that day saying, hey, if it's today, it's today. I'm not sweating it because my life is in his hands. These were leaders that followed Jesus. These were leaders that followed Jesus. They were happy to fill up the sufferings of Christ. And then we have the heroes of the Old Testament modeled. They modeled this type of servant leadership in Hebrews 11. I'm not going to take the time this morning because we're about out to go through all of that, but I'll just reference Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 39. Because this type of faith, people who are focused 
on Jesus Christ and they're willing to follow him. They, they, they end up becoming examples for the rest of us to follow. You see, they're following Christ and we want to follow them. Right? Because the, not because of who they're following alone, but the way they follow. Hebrews 11.32, the Lord says, And, and what, shall I, I, I shall, uh, what shall I more say? For the time should fail me to tell of Gideon and, and Barak and Samson and, and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of, uh, of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in the fight, Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead. They uh, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. That they, may ob- that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then you have the judgment of God on this, of whom the world was not worthy. These people were precious. This world wasn't worthy of their sacrifice. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received the promise. Beloved, how do we get faith? Well, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How are we really going to do this in a practical way? Well, in a practical way, you're already doing it. Many of you are already being and in the process of doing everything we're talking about. You've been through Discipleship One. What is Discipleship One really all about? If we boil it down beyond the four goals, it's really about following Jesus. You know what worship is? Worship is following Jesus. The first mention of it, you you took Isaac to the Mount. It's a picture of Christ following the Father's will, right? All the way to his death. Of course, Isaac, got, he got off the altar. God said, wait a minute, i got a ram caught in the thicket over here. That's the one you're going to sacrifice. He got to go free. You know what? We get to go free because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's all about worship. It's about following Christ. Point D, and I'm going to finish here. Your pastors, deacons, ministry heads at HBF model this type of servant leadership. I started meditating on that. I had all kinds of notes written, and I deleted them all. And I'm glad I did because I'm out of time. But it doesn't look like, it doesn't look, I want you to know this. It doesn't always look the same in every leader because each leader has a different function in the body. But you know what? God works through leaders. And it's not realistic to expect every leader to be everywhere, do everything. But real ministers are drawn to real battles and, and it refines them as they become leaders. Sometimes members of the body get disappointed. They have unmet expectations. In ministry leaders, they, they want me to be at the hospital instead of their ABF pastor or the deacon. Uh, but just because we're not omnipresent doesn't mean we're not following Jesus. Right? And it doesn't mean uh, that we're not leading from the front. We are blessed here at HBF because we do have men and women, I might add, um, <clears throat> that lead from the front. In the office of the pastor and in the office of the deacon which is required in the First Timothy chapter 3 and obviously Titus as well. So from leading in, in Bible studies to outreach and evangelism to sitting with you at the hospital to stewarding the property and the facilities to leading on discipleship uh, 1, discipleship 2, HBI through participating in, in all kinds of administration, leading missions trips, uh, caring for the body, waiting on tables, 
the membership in uh, the leadership of HBF models Jesus Christ in, the, in regard to leading from the front. In an age when men need to be supported in their role as visionary leaders of the home, HBF is a church that will not undermine your role of male leadership. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to be misogynists either, right? But we understand biblically that God needs men to lead. That's what the church is here to do is train faithful men to, to lead others also. And I promise if you're a man who follows Christ, your wife will say thank you. Thank you for changing that dude. Thank you for making him more like you. In October, we're going to have a men's conference, and I pray that you can put that on your calendar, October 13th through 15th. I need men to be there. I need men to show up. We need to pick up this discussion that we had at the vision conference on on accomplishing the mission of God, having perfect peace about owning the mission, right? We've got to own the mission. We've got to own the mission that God has for us as men. We've got to own the mission that God has for this church. We've got to own the mission that God has for your families, uh, and, and I may have gotten that out of order. And so your family's got to be there, man. Men, are you leading from the front? Now, remember what led David to the front. I don't mean are you getting in front of everybody. I mean are you following Jesus where he leads you. It'll lead you to real battles. And when God takes you to a battle and you're like, I'd rather fight a battle over there. And God says, no, this is the battle I called you to fight. This is where you're posted. This is where you fight. It may not be where you wanted it may not be uh, what, what you wanted to do. You would rather be out with the boys, but God puts you right here with your wife and kids. You might want to be over here at work, but God says, no, I need you over here in the ministry. I mean, obviously you need to work because if you don't work, you don't eat. But you understand what I'm saying. A real man that's a real servant is going to grow to the point where they're able to be deployed wherever God needs them. Because we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first thing that Paul told Timothy in chapter 2 was, hey, Timothy, you've got to endure hardness as a good soldier. You've got to be willing to go where you're deployed. When we go back to John chapter 21, that is exactly what Jesus is working out with Peter. Peter, you have to go where I tell you to go the way I tell you to do it. Will you be obedient? And what he needed from Peter was, sir, yes, sir. I will do what you tell me to do. I will follow you wherever you lead me. That makes Peter a leader. Beloved, this morning, we're going to talk more about the, the, the faithfulness and the fruit that comes from this, but I want to just kind of set this up as an introduction. And I want to encourage you to consider where you're at in your relationship with God and your obedience. Now, it's possible that you're a young Christian, and this is like way over. You're like, man, Brian, you are like asking a ton out of these people. I just showed up here, man. What do you want? Is this a cold or something? No. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to do anything other than know Jesus. If you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's where it starts. If you'd have told me the day I got saved, I probably would have thought I was crazy before I got saved, actually. And, but if you'd have told me the day I got saved that I'd be up here preaching, I'd have laughed in your face. I would not have believed it. But I tell you what, it didn't take very long. And some of you are in this boat right now. God's already speaking to your heart. He's calling you to do something. Get baptized. Get saved. Get discipled. Uh, get into HBI, uh, go as a missionary, go as a pastor. I mean, you need to answer the call, whatever it is that God's working in your heart. And you're afraid to talk about it. I was there. But someday you've got to move. You've got to get up and move. The day I, I sat down on my own baptism for months 
And finally, the preacher got up and preached on it. And the Holy Spirit said, Brian, you got to move. And I finally got up out of my chair and moved. When I moved, three other people followed me. And God was saying, that's what I'm saying, Brian. When you sit down on me, it affects other people. You know what, beloved? When we won't follow Jesus, it's not about you. It's about all the other people that your life affects. This room is a room right now. The big thing in social media is I want to be an influencer. You know what? You guys are the influencers. We are salt and light. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. And what we do with the call of God affects everybody in this world. And you think, oh, not me. I'm just out in this little bitty country church out in the cow field. Yes, we are a little country church out in the cow field. But, beloved, you just ask any one of these missionaries and these pastors that come through this church. You can ask Pastor Randy. You can ask, you can ask all these guys that come through. God is using you to reach this world. This last week, there's a church, there's a church that, this, that people in this church gave to build in Candemal, a place that was once a heavily persecuted, so persecuted I couldn't go visit, over in India. And now there's a church that's literally worshiping and discipleship trips. Pastor Pradeep's taking. He's putting it all over Facebook. There was a time that would have been a death sentence. And guys, it's a lot, a lot of it's because of you and your influence. I just want to encourage you all. Man, follow Christ. It's going to be difficult. It might hurt, but follow him and keep focused on the end. You know what? In the end, we win. We've already won. We're more than conquerors. Amen?